0: Let's um, turn to prayer as we begin our study this morning. Lord, thank you that your faithfulness is so great. Thank you that you do listen to us when we fall on our knees and cry out to you. Lord, give us listening hearts and crying hearts this morning that are sensitive to you, listening to you, calling out to you, and listening to your word. Speak to us, Lord. We open our hearts now to you. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Well, you may uh, be interested in knowing that today is Chris Rudell, our senior pastor's. It's his birthday. So he's not here this morning, but my suggestion is if you'd like to go over and decorate his trees, his yard, or, <laughs> or perhaps leave uh, large and expensive presents on his porch, that would probably be fine too. But... Uh, At a previous pastorate, a couple came in to me and began to describe their relationship. It was clear to her right from the very beginning that her needs were not met from the very start of their marriage. So as time went on, she tried to encourage her husband to be aware of her needs, to know what they were, and so she would say things and... Never really responded. She would say more. He seemed to withdraw. So she tried to say it a little louder, and she became more angry, more controlling. He withdrew more and more. She was trying to become the evader of the relationship. (laughs) But that didn't work. She tried the silent treatment, punishing him. That didn't work. By the time they came to me, they were utterly Utterly miserable. Another couple I worked with, she was very attractive and played it up, used it, and uh, was flirtatious with other men. And he was uncomfortable with that, said some things to her, and began to be very critical of her. And she, with a rebellious spirit, wouldn't give in. And he got more and more angry and critical. Pretty soon, nothing she did was right. By the time they came to talk to me, she was seeing another man. I was surprised she even came in. Here's some situations where the spouse is trying to have an impact on the other one and aren't doing a very good job. You see, there's so much confusion about male and female relationships. How do we relate? How do we encourage one another? How do we influence one another? in our marriages. Now, I realize many of you are not married. But I believe the principles that we'll look at this morning will encourage you in all your relationships. But Peter, in our passage this morning, is looking specifically at wives and husbands. And in our day, people are confused. They have no idea in many places how men and women are to relate, how you can have an impact on your wife, how you can have an impact on your husband for good, But you know, in New Testament days, when Peter was writing this, it was very similar. There was tremendous confusion there as well. Yeah, there was the Middle Eastern influence where women were considered basically as cattle, just possessions to do the work around the house, so they were put down and dominated by the strength of their husbands. But there was also a tremendous movement in the Roman world for women to be given more status and more power and taking more control from men. In fact, Peter wrote the book of 1 Peter to Asia Minor. The dominant city in Asia Minor is the city of Ephesus. In Ephesus was the cult of Artemis, or Diana. She was a goddess who was considered very powerful. She was worshipped by priestesses. The women ran this cult, essentially. The cult was actually started, it sounds like, as far as scholars know, by the Amazon warrior women. You may have heard of them, who had come down from the northern part of Asia Minor and started this cult of Diana. And so, in the culture there, there was confusion about women taking control and taking power versus having no power at all. You add to that then, out of that culture, women are coming to Christ. And they're hearing the good news that In Christ, there is neither male nor female. We're all equal in His sight. So, does that mean there's no roles? What does it mean, then, about how men and women are to relate? There was great confusion. So, Peter wrote a section in this book, 1 Peter, to explain how men and women are to relate as husband and wife. Let me give you just... uh, a reminder of what the book of 1 Peter, what it's about. Peter begins by saying that he's writing to the aliens and strangers. He's saying we as believers live differently than the world around us. The tools, the responses, the attitudes, the way we are to live is like being an alien and a stranger in the world. We don't fit in the world because we are to respond differently than the world around us. So Peter wrote this book and he writes this section on marriage and it's interesting to me that Peter was one who wrote from experience. Paul wrote from theory in Ephesians 5 when he talked about marriage. Peter wrote from experience. And can you imagine what it must have been like to be married to Peter? (laughs) Here's a guy that was strong, powerful fisherman, impulsive, would fly off the handle at any moment, take control of any situation, even from Jesus, wasn't afraid to rebuke Jesus. He must have been a tough guy to deal with. But Peter learned through experience how his wife could influence him for good and how he could influence her in a proper way that was very different from his natural way of responding. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3 together, verses 1 through 7. Let me remind you of the context. Chapter 2, verse 13 says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And then Peter goes on to describe how submission is to impact all our relationships as believers with the world and with authorities, slaves and masters, because Jesus is the example and he ends chapter 2 with saying, Look how Jesus submitted even to insults and difficulties, kept entrusting himself to the Father. That's our model. Then he goes on to marriage. So it's important to see that what he's describing here is to characterize all our relationships, whether you're married or not. You see, the true sign of relationships for believers is submission. It's not dominance, it's not, to contr- it's not control, but it's submission, first to God and then to others. It's the ultimate expression of the Spirit. You see, the expression of the flesh is, I have to take control, I have to protect myself. I have to look out for myself, look out for number one, take care of my own rights. But the expression of the Spirit is, no, God is taking care of me. Therefore, I don't have to demand my rights but I can serve. I can have a submissive heart and a submissive spirit to whoever I'm in relationship with. So now he applies it to marriage. And he first talks to women and he says, a wife of influence is one that is a submissive wife. Let's look at that. Verse 1 of chapter 3. In the same way, you wives, notice how he says in the same way. Same way as what? In the same way as Jesus submitted to the Father and to those ...who are harming him, so we are to submit. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. How is a woman to have influence over her husband? The world would say a woman has influence if she has power or prestige. Power in the sense of being able to control things, well, I have influence if I can control the checkbook, if I have a career that gives me some control over my own life, if I have my own bank account, if I have many friends, if I have a lot of money, somewhere in my life, if I have some power, some sense of control, then I can have influence in life. Other women would say, well, it's more prestige, it's... Having the right friends. It's being beautiful so that people look up to me for how I look. It's having the best position. It's being the best mother. Having the best kids. Having the best boyfriend, if you're not married. Or having a successful husband that that, uh, people can look up to. And so women look to all these kinds of things for a sense of influence and impact in their worlds. But what God says is what gives a woman influence is submission, having a submissive spirit. This weekend, my sister's been visiting with me, came to the first service, and she, to me, is a model of a submissive wife. Peter says here, Be submissive so that even if your husbands are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word. Even if they're disobedient... And the picture here, I believe, is talking about either being married to a non-Christian or a Christian husband who is disobedient. He's heard the word, but he's chosen not to obey. I think both apply in this case. Peter leaves it open to refer to both. My sister came to Christ while she was married, so was married to a non-Christian husband. For years, he was resistant But she very quietly kept loving him, kept serving him, kept getting to know the Lord and depend on him more and more. And over the years, he was drawn to what he saw. He saw what was going on in her life and couldn't resist that and eventually came to Christ. It's delightful to see what God has done in her and through her. But the question is, we need to expand on it, I guess. What is submission? because we're really confused in our day and age about what that means. The NIV study Bible says submission is to yield one's rights. The word submission means literally to rank yourself under another. It means to voluntarily entrust yourself under another person, entrust the responsibility for your relationship to your husband. To not take control and demand control, but to entrust yourself to his authority. Place him under his responsibility. That's literally what it means. But let me say this doesn't mean you're a slave. It doesn't mean you do whatever he wants. If he says, if he's an alcoholic and says, go buy me booze, I do not believe it's submissive to do it. And we'll see why in a few moments. If he's physically abusing you, I do not believe it's submissive to just stay there and put up with it. That is not true biblical submission as it's been thought of in the past and used against women in the past. I like the way Nancy Groom puts it in her book, Married Without Masks. She says a husband needs his wife to be willing to place herself under his leadership in the family, gladly and without a critical spirit. She must be strong. But she must also bring her strength into place under his headship and initiation. Integral to a wife's submission is her respect for her husband as a man. She is to truly honor him from her heart. A wife who disdains or demeans or emasculates her husband, and there are infinite ways to do it, violates the essence of a submissive spirit. When a man finds a wife who will gladly respond to his leadership and consistently show her respect for him, he has found a rare gem, especially if she's also a woman of substance and feminine strength. That's her view of submission. Well, let's look at what Peter says submission is here in chapter 3. Peter says that there's two aspects to submission, your actions and your attitudes the outward behavior, and the inner person of the heart. Let's look first at the outward actions. Notice verse 1, he says, So that even if them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. First aspect of behavior he points to is, if you're to be submissive, you are to respond without a word. Now, does this mean you say nothing to him if he's in disobedience? Well, the implication is, if he's disobedient to the word, he's heard the word. I think he's describing a wife who has said it. Who has said, this is what God says, I believe. But she said it once. (laughs) Without trying to remind him over and over and over again. Why does Peter point to this? Why is this so important? Because it's what a woman will tend to lean on as her tool of trying to influence her husband is her tongue. But I think what Peter's saying is it's the wrong tool. It's like taking a hammer and trying to remove a splinter from your finger. But, but I was very gentle. I was trying to be just gently reminding him, oh, so you were just hammering him real lightly. Oh, well, did that get rid of the sliver? Hmm, no, I don't think so. See, it's the wrong tool, Peter says. Your tongue, ladies, is not the tool that God's given you to influence your husband if he's disobedient, if he chooses not to respond the first time. The first time. So he says, respond without a word. Think with me for a minute about this. If he's already disobedient to God... He's heard the word somehow, either through you or through a friend or somewhere, and it says he's disobedient to the word, so he's not responding to God's words. What makes you think he's going to respond to yours? And even if you could demand and pressure him into responding, that's not what you want, is the control of the relationship ultimately. So first he says, do it without a word. That's the wrong tool. Secondly, says verse 2, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. First, he says, chaste. That's an old fashioned word. <laughs> it just means pure, pure behavior. It means staying pure, doing what's right, not giving way to pressure or compromise, but continuing to put the Lord first and making sure you're doing what he says first and foremost, not giving into bitterness. Or rage, not punishing your husband. Oh yeah, without a word, huh? I'll give him the silent treatment, all right. (laughs) No, that's not pure behavior. Pure behavior is saying, Lord, help me to do what's right, even though this man is not responding as I would like him to, or even as you would like him to. I know one woman who whose husband said, well, I think it'll help our relationship if you sleep with another man. She did it, thinking that was submission. That's not pure behavior. That is not biblical submission. He says, stay pure. Don't try to influence him with your words. Stay pure. And then thirdly, have respectful behavior. This means always treating your husband with respect. Women, there's something about us men that that longs for respect. And especially when a wife treats us with respect, when deep down we know we don't deserve it, that powerfully, powerfully affects us. It's not a guarantee, but it certainly opens the door for God to work in our hearts in powerful ways. So God says, women, tr- continue to treat your husbands with respect. Later on, Peter used the example of Sarah. Sarah, Sarah is amazing to me. Women in the Old Testament, you know, who, who Abraham said, Well, Sarah, by the way, we're leaving all our friends, family, everybody we know. We're going to a totally different culture. And we're going to live in a tent for the next 40 years. Hmm. Yeah, that's my dream, Abe. (laughs) But she went along. He made several choices to protect himself instead of love her. Like when they went to Egypt, he said, Sarah, I'm afraid they're going to kill me if they see how beautiful you are and think you're my wife because they'll want you. So just say you're my sister, not my wife. Put her in a very dangerous and possibly immoral situation. And you can argue whether that was the right thing to do or not. But God honored her because she went along with it and God protected her. Abraham went on and made other mistakes. And then 25 years later, he did the same thing. I'm afraid because you're still so beautiful that they'll kill me to get to you. So say you're my sister. And you know what? Sarah did not say, that's it. You jerk! You've blown it one too many times! I'm out of here! Forget it! No, she continued to demonstrate respect, and God protected her and honored her again, even though He was blowing it and being selfish. What a wonderful example. And so that's what God calls you to do, women, to have an influence on your husband in your behavior, is to continue to show Him respect. Find ways to encourage him in who he is as a man. Find the things you can appreciate and continue to honor and respect him in the position that God has placed him. So that's how you to do it in your actions. But how about your attitude? How do you pull that off? You have to have an attitude behind it that allows you to do that. And Peter goes on to talk about the attitude that has that kind of impact. Verse 3 And let not your adornment be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. He says, Wives, you want to know what really influences a husband? It's when a wife has a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, does that mean, oh, I'm so, I'll do whatever you say. Yeah, because I'm so gentle and quiet and meek. That's me. You know the word gentle? Used four times in Scripture. It's used here, one other place, and then it's used twice of Jesus himself. Come to me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. It describes not a meekness that says you can run over me, it describes the strength of character that says, I am strong enough inside that I don't have to demand my way. I don't have to demand my rights. I don't have to be critical and pushy and selfishly assertive. I don't have to manipulate this situation. But rather, I have a trust in God that allows me to respond in a good, loving way. There's a calm spirit within in whatever situation I'm in. There's an, it's an inward peace and strength. That's the attitude that influences a man, that causes a man to say, what is going on here? How do you get there? How does a woman get to a place of having a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious, invaluable in the sight of God? Well, in verse 5 and 6, he gives us some hints. He says, For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Thus Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right, without being frightened by any fear. Three keys to having a gentle and quiet spirit, ladies. First, in verse 5, these women adorn themselves... Uh, Also, who hoped in God. The key, ultimately, is you have to put your hope in God. You have to entrust yourself to Him, as Jesus had to, back in chapter 2, where it says, He did not revile in return, while suffering He uttered no threats, but kept entrusting Himself to Him who judges righteously. Verse 23, That's what Jesus did. And hoping in God, you wives, is to entrust yourself to the Lord, trusting that God is the one who will take care of you. Therefore, you can continue to follow. Too many women depend on their husbands for their well-being. They put their hope in their husbands, and that's why they get so frustrated and feel the pressure and the urgency that somehow I must change him or I must make something happen here or I'm not going to make it in life. But when you entrust yourself to the Lord, hoping in him, it frees you to respond regardless of how your husband is responding in a godly way. Secondly, to get this gentle and quiet spirit, first you hope in God. And secondly, verse 6, you have become her children if you do what is right it's like staying pure it's continuing to do what is right and that word really means to do good you'll have a gentle and quiet spirit as you continue to look for the good you can do in any situation in particular with your husband to say what what good can i offer him at this point he's offering me evil perhaps at this point how can i offer him good how can i be kind how can i show the lord's love How can I keep loving and serving rather than punishing and controlling and demanding and torturing? (laughs) And then finally, a gentle and quiet spirit comes out of the end of verse 6 where it says, If you do what is right without being frightened by any fear or and are not frightened by any fear, are not controlled by fear. You see, fear is what drives most women. A fear that somehow my needs won't be met. A fear that somehow I'm going to be abandoned. A fear of being left. A fear of being divorced. A fear of being hurt. Jeannie and I have a very good friend who was married early in life as a non-Christian, was divorced, and uh, we met her years later after she'd come to Christ keeping her distance from men because she was afraid of being hurt again. Finally, a man moved towards her and began to love her, and she began to open her heart to him. And then he said, after they were engaged, I don't want you. I don't want to marry you. So a, after opening her heart, she was so afraid of being lonely now because she had awakened that desire for relationship Out of fear of loneliness, she jumped into the first relationship that came along. Well, it ended up to be a mess. Before long, she discovered that he had a terrible addiction that was destroying their family. So out of fear of that, she divorced him without getting any counsel or any help from her church or anyone else. And now she lives in fear of ever being heard again. You see how fear can control you and swing you back and forth and, and destroy your ability to trust God or to respond in a godly way. So Peter says, though your tendency is going to be to be controlled by fear, don't be controlled by fear. Instead, entrust yourself to the Lord. Entrust yourself to Him knowing that He will take care of your soul. He promises to meet the deep needs of your heart. doesn't mean it won't be painful, but that's what will give you the gentle and quiet spirit that is beautiful to God and that will have an influence on your husband. How about husbands? How do we have an impact on our wives? What can make a difference For us. Notice verse 7. You husbands likewise. Notice the word likewise. As the wives are to submit, just as Jesus did, so husbands are to be submissive in their relationship with their wife. But it's got a different tint to it because of who we are. You husbands likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman. And grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Two things Peter says, and again, I think he learned the hard way about how to influence a wife. He says, first of all, you husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. In other words, pursue understanding of your wife. A woman does not want a strong, silent type. Yes, a woman wants strength, a strength that trusts God, but she doesn't want the silent type. Almost invariably, when a woman comes in for counsel, one of the first things they say is, I wish my husband would talk to me. I wish he'd listen to me. I wish he'd want to hear what I have to say. I wish he'd tell me his dreams and his hopes. I wish he'd talk to me. Men, you need to talk to your wives. But what you need to do is pursue her heart. Pursue understanding her. That's what it means when it says, live with your wives in an understanding way. Seek to understand her. And what this means is, men, you can't ever say, well, understand my wife? There's no way I can understand her. And I've heard that a lot, and I've sometimes said that. Jeannie and I have kind of this joke, you know, that she'll say or do something and I'll look at her with this, you know, kind of quizzical, where did that come from? And she just kind of laughs and says, don't try to understand me. (laughs) She doesn't mean it. (laughs) (laughs) She wants me to understand her. Women are a mystery. That's true. But men, the real problem is not that you can't understand her if you pursue her hard and seek to understand her. The real problem is you don't want to understand her. You just want to fix her. You know, you're like Tim Allen on Home Improvement who said something like this one time, Jill, the reason I love cars so much is that I can use tools and just fix them. <laughs> but, but you, Jill, <laughs> I can't fix you. I don't, have, I don't know what tools to use. You see, men, women are not like a car repair manual. That if I just find the right page here, I can figure out how to deal with what's going on right now. I can fix it. Women are much more like a mystery novel. That as you begin to read, every page is a new surprise. A delightful surprise if you have that attitude. And as you continue to read, you find that there's always more surprises and you never really come to the end of the book You find that it's a lifetime of enjoying the mystery of your wife. And nothing touches a wife's heart than seeing that her husband is really pursuing understanding. Wanting to know her heart. Wanting to know who she is. And then secondly, Peter says this. Not only are you to understand her, but... As a weaker vessel since she's a woman but grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life let me just make a comment weaker vessel here it's been discussed what can that mean is she weaker emotionally no <laughs> actually studies show that women handle their emotions far better than men do far more men have nervous breakdowns and don't handle life now I think it's simply physical that Peter knew As a big, strong fisherman, he could dominate and intimidate his wife just physically, as men have done throughout history. And he says, No, understand her and grant her honor. Pursue honoring your wife, he says. Pursue understanding her. Pursue honoring her. How many men have I seen that are destructive in how they talk about their wives? Either in public or in private, to her, cutting her down subtly. That's wrong. I like what uh, David Roper quoted in his book, A Man to Match the Mountain. He says It's a quote by Isabella Thoburn who said, No man ever rises higher than the point to which he elevates women. It's true. So he, Peter says, Honor your wife. But what does that mean? What does it mean to pursue honoring her? Well, he says, show her honor. The word there is pay. Pay her honor. Give her a daily allowance of honor. (laughs) I think there's some ways we do that. One, through your words. Both your public and private words must affirm her. And not just what she does or how she looks, but for who she is. For her thoughts, for her opinions, to affirm her feelings that may be very different than what you would respond. But to affirm those and say, yes, you're an equal heir of the grace of life. And I will honor that by listening and respecting what you say. In our marriage, I always felt like I was a pretty good husband. But it always kind of concerned me that my wife felt like she had very little to offer I thought, well, that comes out of her family background. But I began to see more and more that it comes out of the way I treat her. And especially early in my marriage as I had this attitude that, well, I'm a big seminary, or should I say cemetery <laughs> graduate, and I know what the Bible says. And in subtle ways, I would put her down in what she thought, in her opinions and... And I'm ashamed of that. Because it did damage. I'm learning to honor her. And men, you can learn to honor your wives as well. It's not just your words, though. It's also the choice of your time and your money. Men, how do you use your time and money? You honor your wife by using them in many ways to do what she wants to do. To care for her. To Show her that she's first. Not by doing your own thing, spending all your time at work or using your money to buy the toys that you want, but rather using it to honor her, to make sure that she knows she's number, number one in your life. And notice how the passage ends. Grant her honor as a follower of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Peter gives a warning here, and again, I think he learned this the hard way. That you can't say you're close to God and be dishonoring your wife. You can't. They're too closely tied. If you're, Others can tell how close you are to God by how you treat your wife. Do you honor her? Do you pursue her heart? Do you treat her as a complete an absolute equal heir of the grace of life, men? If you don't, your prayers are blocked. That's what the word means. You can't say you're close to God and treat your wife with dishonor, disrespect. Wives and husbands, you were meant, you were created to have a marvelous impact on the one you love. But it's got to be done God's way. Wives, by entrusting yourself to the Lord so that you respond with purity and respect in every situation. Husbands, by dying to yourself, your own selfishness, so that you pursue the heart of your wife, you honor her as an equal heir of the grace of life. And if you do this, as Peter learned, you will have tremendous influence on the one you're married to. Verse 4 again, as it says, it's the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. It's invaluable to Him. It brings glory to Him when you respond in this way. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, how we need to learn to trust You more in how we relate to one another, in all our relationships, but especially with those we love the most. Oh, Lord, break us. Give us a submissive heart that truly reflects the love You have for us and that allows us to have the influence that You've called us to on one another. We thank You and praise You for Your love of us and Your forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray Amen.